Hey, Justin Baldoni here, and I just wanted to say thank you because my new book, Boys Will Be Human, debuted at number three on the New York Times bestseller list. I never in a million years thought it would be possible. There's not even a section in the bookstore for young boys, and it's thanks to you and this community that it happened. If you haven't picked up the book yet, it's available now anywhere you get your books. It's also on Audible. It's called Boys Will Be Human. It's a get real gut check to becoming the strongest, kindest, bravest person you can be. If you know a parent of a 11 to 100-year-old boy, or if you are one yourself, I promise you this book is for you. Boys Will Be Human, available everywhere that books are sold. Coming up on Man Enough. I'm not here to be anybody's moral police. I'm here to say, wait a minute, we're slut-shaming and stigmatizing women and girls left and right. Men and boys are alienated from themselves. Your passion, mm-hmm. like when I see both of you, all that emotion that comes up, you are connected to these girls and women. That thing of like using your power to subjugate another person, how do we separate that out from healthy erotica, healthy sex, mm-hmm. enjoying sexuality, people mm-hmm. earning money for doing whatever it is that they really choose to do because they have all the choices in the world. But I can tell you, I don't feel like I have all the choices in the world. Being man enough, what does that mean? It's really manly to mess up, admit you're wrong, and then grow. I couldn't accept that I was evil, so maybe I'm broken, but those broken things could be corrected. Intimacy between a father and a son is me just wanting to like put my head in your lap. I love you, son. You haven't called me a benevolent sexist, but my experience is women are better. Even if it's a positive, it's still not equality. I don't blame men for that. I just blame the system. This is Man Enough. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Man Enough Podcast. I'm Jamie Heath. I am Liz Plank. And who are you? I am Justin Baldoni. I'm just kidding. I'm Andy <laughs> Grammer. <laughs> Good wow. to be here. We've got Andy here. For those of you who may not know, Andy is filling in for Justin Baldoni. As you can see, he's built exactly the same. Exactly he's the just same. as daunting and loving and wonderful and all the stuff. Um, so here we are. And... Um, we won't miss Justin much, but maybe we'll call him during this because I think he's going to miss it because we have hey. someone really special on I know, today, Liz. I'm so excited. Who do we oh, have with I us today? Oh. Sarah Jones. Oh, I mean, nice. it feels like yeah. surreal. I get to, this is the longest time I'll get to hang out with her this month. This is like, because she is the busiest woman on earth. Next um, to this one. Extremely talented, uh, wonderful, and amazing. Uh, you are a solo performer, writer, comedian activist. You did a one-woman show that has multi-characters in it called Bridge and Tunnel uh, that got turned into a movie, but then a different movie came about. Um, Cell by Date is an incredible film. Everyone should go check it out. It is like no other film I've ever seen. Um, It's really, and we're going to go deep into it because it was not not without controversy Mm. and drama. Mm. Um, And you are also, I'm just learning this, even though we're friends, you're an ambassador for UNICEF. You just joined the board of A Call to Men an organization we love and support here at Man Enough. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And yeah, thank you for reminding me. I, I do, I've been doing a lot of stuff, yeah. but this movie, Sell By Date, is my, it's inspired by a play where I play a bunch of characters who you all actually one of them was just hanging out earlier, I believe. Oh. Um I know it's weird, but you know, because Sarah, who you just heard, is from Queens. Uh-huh. So she sort of speaks the Queen's English, uh-huh. sort of. Um, but there's loads of different people in the film, and it's about women and sex and power. And what better place than to come here? Yes. Why are yeah. you that good? Oh, 
Thank you. I appreciate it. Actually, it feels a bit ill-timed because I don't want to get into anything about the Queen. Oh, right. Right. Not, oh, not, right. Not, not touch it at all. No, no, no we no. are good. I've got nothing to say there. Um, can we ask Sarah for a minute? Yes. Um, when was mm. the last time that you didn't feel enough? I mean, four minutes ago, four seconds ago, oh. every time it's time to post a reel, oh, every time stressful. it's time to, it's every, you know, I think what I've discovered is it's actually, it's a superpower to be sensitive, but it takes a while to figure that out. Mm. And I think especially in the context of conversations about gender and manhood and in my film, you know, <laughs> the whole point is to talk about love and mm -hmm. people wanting love and wanting to connection and mm -hmm. how we go about that when we feel not enough is like, I mean, you should. So here's what's hilarious. Everybody can see my face. I forced myself not to put, I was like, you were only going to do like the date at the beach level of makeup. Like you get to put on a sunscreen mm. and then rub something over your eyelids, but you're not gonna do the thing. And then I got here and I was like, everyone else looks really pretty and I didn't oh. do real makeup and uh, that's wow. another, that's actually me. Hi, I'm in the movie. Oh my God, I love uh, uh, Hi, <laughs> hi. I just figured like while I'm here, I'm not gonna let her like steal my vocal fry and then like mm -hmm. not. Be oh here myself. Like, like who actually, is here? Introduce it's me. It's Bella. Audience. I know you, Liz. Like I totally oh my stand. God. Yeah. yeah. Like you're. She's like everything. And like you. I just. It's okay to see, say you guys because you're both cis men. But like I just really want to remind everyone else that it's you all, generally speaking. Okay. <laughs> wow. Um, anyway, yeah. I can see where this is gonna go. For <laughs> this is amazing. There's a lot happening. Anyway, really, really yes, sweet. Yes. Thank you for asking about that because mm -hmm. I know everybody gets to answer it, but you don't think about how you would answer it yourself mm -hmm. until you're sitting in this chair. That's right. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. Well, we love that you're here. You know, obviously, you know what we're about. We are here to um, explore our own self. Specifically, we have this podcast to explore how men can be better, right? How can we undefine what masculinity has been throughout society? And you obviously have a voice in this world that you're doing an amazing art. Also in your art, you're championing certain things. What do you, would you say the legacy that you want to leave behind is? Obviously it's your art, but at the end of the day, what is the legacy that you hope to leave? What is your purpose? I was hoping for this kind of very surface, easy question. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's so funny that you asked that. So one of the things I did after I, I did my show on Broadway and I was trying to figure out like, where do I want to be? What do I want to do? Hollywood is hard. Like I didn't want to play stereotypes that, you know, reinforce the same ideas about manhood and womanhood and never mind having a conversation about non-binary. There was like no such thing, right? And so I sort of tried to carve my own path, my own, what maybe will become a legacy, one hopes. And I remember, I didn't do TEDx because it wasn't a thing yet, but I got to go do, you know, main stage TED Talks at a time when I was like the only black woman I saw. Mm. And I remember thinking, and you know, this whole world that we're all in is so complex in that respect. Like, how we self-identify, how other people see us, if I can transcend. It's a weird, you know, I'm sort of trying to hold a paradox that I both don't want to be in a hierarchy where I'm like, oh, I was up here doing these things. But also every time somebody is like, oh, you did a TEDx. And I'm like, no, girl, I follow Bill Gates. Like, you know, <laughs> I, have to, I have to sort of like find the way to um, what does humility and knowing that you've made your mark in your own right-sized way mm -hmm. look like, like neither shrinking 
which is false humility, nor, you know, letting mm. anybody make you play small. So I think mm. that's my my sweet spot right now is just how can I use my authentic voice or voices as the case may be <laughs> and let it be okay that, you know, I'm going to be underestimated a lot. Because mm-hmm. um, you're be a, a woman wa- and you're black. I'm a woman and I'm black. I got other... Na- Listen, let me tell you something. <laughs> I don't... If you see the movie, you will understand. But like being Dominican... Like, first of all, the whole thing of like... just It's the smallest thing in the world. But like, you know, I mean, your hair. Like, you, I could tell you... I think Sarah Jones could have been president if she just wasn't sitting getting her hair straightened every freaking week <laughs> and spent that time in diplomacy or something else instead, like doing the UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador thing. But like, en serio, you know what I mean? So you look like you could be Dominican, by the way. That's a high I've compliment. Okay, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's also then it's like, oh my God, colorism. Like you just can't win. It's just like, you know what? Get your little cafecito and like try to just have a seat and just keep your own little patch of your own little garden and, you know, be as revolutionary as you can. But like, also you need like a sound bath every once in a while. You know what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that was a lot. But yeah, that was, you asked me one question like four hours ago. But, my, you know, I hope my legacy is that I get to be messy and and mm. honest and let, uh, and give other people permission to do that. I love that. Mm-hmm. I actually just watched the TED Talk. Oh, see. And it was so good. Oh, thank you. And did just create space. You're just creating space for people to feel things. And I think it's really amazing, a gift to, like you're saying, like, I don't know. Was, I, I, I felt like I was watching you and then I'm not. And I can just go into this abyss where we can play with other things and ideas. And it seems like you're choosing to go there to do some cool, heavier stuff. Which is the di- which is like really cool if you can get in and I'm laughing and then I'm like oh the no people aren't laughing they're taking it in now yeah. yeah thank you for saying that I mean and I know like everyone here right it's like whatever we do our music our like whatever it is this world is on many many dumpster fires <laughs> like come on right and it's sort of like so when I hear people like oh I do art for art's sake I'm like oh you have the luxury yeah. of pretending that this is not a shit NATO that we're all like surviving barely mm. so it sort of feels like if you can use your talents to highlight what's going on and help people get there like you know I, every show can't be a rally like you do ha- I do want to have in fact that was the goal with the film was mm-hmm. to talk about really difficult conversations like the ones you all have here that make people feel vulnerable or Mm. uncomfortable or like, you know, nobody wants to look at like, am I lovable? I don't, you know, do I measure up? Am Mm -hmm. I enough? Most people aren't willing to ask that question. It's a lot easier to just doom scroll for hours pointing at myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's like, you know, vulnerability is the new strength. We all know that, but it's still uncomfortable. And so if you can use art or something that gives people joy Mm -hmm. to hopefully open up that space, I'm glad you felt that spaciousness. Yeah. Mm. And do you, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes I'm jealous of actors because they get to just go show a full array of a character. When you're the musician and you're singing, you're like, this is my story. So now I got to like, Am I going to share how dirt, how gnarly I am? Mm-hmm. Like, there's power in that, and that's really cool. But do you find a freedom to just? And where do you get all these characters from? Oof, are I they mean, are they from you? And then like with filters? Yeah. So it's so funny because I'm thinking of one character who's in the movie, and hi there. I'll just come right uh, out because I'm not shy. Hi everybody. <laughs> Anyway, hi, oh, sweetheart. How are you? Is that okay to say sweetheart? I don't want to objectify. I love Lorraine. It's Liz. I love Liz. Anyway, my name is Lorraine. I'm from a generation, most of you, you can't even imagine. You know, there was no such thing as um, whatever this is you're talking about, vulnerable. I mean, please. You know, you get you, you're lucky if you get a loaf of bread. 
<laughs> but you were all worried about vulnerable. But Sarah makes fun of me. She says, well, you didn't, you couldn't be vulnerable because you were vulnerable in so many other ways. Now, our basic needs are met, and our job is to look at why we are the way we are with ourselves and other people. Where are the insecurities, et cetera? I told her if I can get the gastric bypass, I'll be fine. <laughs> Anyway, I shouldn't make brain. Brain is loosely based on real relatives of mine, and my whole family. I grew up in, you know, it's even now. I'm I'm hesitating to say because I'm like, oh god, my mom's gonna hear this. My mom's in the movie, so it's yeah. you know we're working that out. But I have all these relatives. My family is a mixture of black and white. We have Latinx relatives. We have you know Christians and Jews. Like we. It, what side is black? My father's side. And my mother, my mother is mixed race. It's really important to say that. She needs me to say that. Well, don't you say in the movie, I didn't know you were, you weren't white until. Yes. Were you eight or nine? I was eight. And she says, well, it never came up in conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted to be like, um, you Uh couldn't fit in it. Here's your oatmeal. By the way, I'm not white. (laughs) I I know all your friends tease you. I know it's painful and I don't know how to do your hair. Mm -hmm. You know, I know I just wash your hair with the white lady shampoo And like, as you can tell, there's still some therapy to do around this. But the point is that my relatives provided, and I think, again, going back to this idea of sensitivity as a superpower, like all of us here tell stories and everyone, everyone listening, everyone watching, we're storytellers. Like we all kind of gather these experiences. Many of us go through trauma that when Lorraine, you know, What's a trauma? What? Meanwhile, she barely survived. You know, her that part of people's families had to like flee persecution. Mm. And so there's this interesting. um, I I never want people to further injure themselves by looking too deeply if they're not ready. But I think for me, looking at my family as the beautiful, you know, kind of complicated and honestly, they're a microcosm of the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. So they're, you know, they're, I won't call it a hot mess, tepid mess, you know what I mean? A temperate mess, Mm -hmm. like every other family. I think the idea, dysfunctional family is redundant. Uh, No offense to anybody. (laughs) I have never met anyone. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean? Liz Liz knows. I know, Um, Mm -hmm. trust me. But, and, and, you know, this is a podcast about masculinity, about gender. And I think this Mm -hmm. is so... Um, it it aligns so much with, I think, the work that a lot of men, you know, do, which is realizing (laughs) I'm uncomfortable with something, you know, that's almost like political or that's outside of me, right? I'm uncomfortable with women, for example, doing a certain thing. (laughs) But then reflecting, realizing, oh, this is, I'm uncomfortable with that inside of my, myself, right? And I just think, you know, you're such a sensitive soul and you decided to do a film about sex work (laughs) and do something that really is um, contentious, uh, controversial, right? And and not that sex work is a controversial, you know, thing, but people's opinions about it are very very mixed. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious what it sort of taught you about how to have these conversations that are that are uncomfortable. And, and you know, you talk about this too, like you are in many ways, you know, black women, their, their stories don't get told or they get told by other people. And all of a sudden you're being told that mm. you're doing that. Um, 
yeah, I just think so much of it relates to conversations around masculinity of being both the oppressed, the oppressor and and figuring all all of that out. So I'm wondering if you can share, you know, what 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 that was like and what you learned from that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because I wrote a play that took a lot of different perspectives. That's my goal. Nobody talks about this. Right. It's like we call it the oldest profession, but it's really more like the oldest conversation nobody's having. Yeah. Even though folks are, you know, everybody's got Pornhub on their phone or who, you know, like it's really much closer to all of our lives than we think. Like, you know, the wholesome folks who go have wings at Hooters after a football game are not thinking about like, oh, that's sex being sold. Like it's a continuum, right? right? And so there's this thing of like, I don't want to touch that. But then while I was doing the research for the play, I heard fascinating stories. One was about, speaking of masculinity and sort of manhood and what, you you know, Ted Bunch and the folks at A Call to Men call the man box, mm-hmm. like being put in this box from so early, from the time boys are told, like, you know, ooh, you're going to be a little lady killer when you grow up. He's three. He doesn't right. even know what, you know, what That's gender right. he likes or what, right? <laughs> but we start that grooming so early. Mm-hmm. And then this one story I'm thinking of, a guy who was 15, his father, the way his father only way he knew how to bond with him was to take him to get his cherry popped, quote unquote, at a Mm. brothel. Wow. And it wasn't that outside the mainstream. You know what I mean? Like, I think people are like, wow, that's horrifying. It's like, no, go watch a Woody Allen movie. Like go, (laughs) you know, this stuff is very much more mainstream than we think. And so doing a movie that's inspired by a play about the sex industry, I would say it's the sex industry more broadly. And there are some people who are like, don't even use the term sex work because to them they're survivors and they don't, you know, they don't even want to put that out. And then there are people who are like, I'm a sex worker. And I claim that you know, proudly. And I just wanted to get out of the way and Mm. let people have a conversation that they don't even know they've already had many times, but it came in the form of Julia Roberts in those thigh high boots. Honey, when I was like, like 1990, whatever, I was like, I want to be Julia Roberts (laughs) and I want my Richard Gere to come get me. And, you know, it's more complicated than that. And we get to unpack, you know, where is the power in that? Where are the healthy ways to relate to each other around sex, commerce, you know, violence against women Mm -hmm. and the violence that men do against themselves? We see it. There are so many examples of where men being alienated from themselves, Mm -hmm. kind where that crisscrosses with, Mm -hmm. you know, women and our sexuality, our self-determination and men having a terrible day and then going and shooting women who are working at a massage parlor, you know, like Mm. that's a real I mean, I didn't mean to go so far so Mm -hmm. fast, but that's very real. Yes, and I wanted a film that helps people find a way into that Mm -hmm. that isn't automatically like an episode of SVU where the women are dehumanized and you don't get to hear their actual voices say, this is why I work in a massage parlor. This is, you know, Mm -hmm. my history of racism or sexism or whatever it might be. Um, so anyway, I wanted to see if I could put all that out there while still having people enjoy themselves. <laughs> why, why did you want to do it? What was the what what was the root reason for you? Yeah. Other than it's interesting, of course, but did you feel it had a greater purpose than just digging? It's so interesting because I have a personal narrative in this film that I won't give away. You have to go see it. Yeah, um, but. I didn't know that I had my own kind of, you know, sort of sub-basement. Like there was the the what I thought was the bottom floor of this issue. And then all of a sudden it was like, whoa, there's bigger, more um, personal stuff attached to this than anyone realizes. Um, and 
I think as I did the research for the film and I would talk to like, my producer would be like, you know, my girlfriend just told me she stripped in college. I had no idea. Mm. She just wanted to pay for a couple of courses. Like people started realizing, oh, great auntie so-and-so, like, you know, to make money, like, uh, she, you know, had to marry a guy that she didn't want back. All of this stuff is connected, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but what felt important to me, I saw so many feminists, there was so much work out there, like documentaries, people with great intentions, but I couldn't recommend, I couldn't be like, girl, you need to go see this movie. It was amazing. Like uh -huh. instead I wanted to be like, um, do you have a prescription for like, where, what do you want? Because <laughs> depending on how strong what you yeah. have is, maybe you can watch this, but it was too painful. Yeah. And I realized we dehumanize women in so many ways by like making these topics we divorce the topic from the human being. Like all the women I talked to, whether they're self-described sex workers or whichever, I mean, there were mm -hmm. girls I met when I went to um, do some work I was doing early in my career in New York. I got to go teach poetry on Rikers Island. These girls were kids. Mm -hmm. They had all been arrested. And most of them, there was some aspect of prostitution or sex work or whatever they were calling it. And I was like, nobody's talking about this. Mm -hmm. Like, this is draconian. This is like a Dickensian mm -hmm. level of like, a girl is 14, so she can't consent to anything, yet she's a dirty whore. Yeah. What? You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. So in the film... Right. It, it becomes an exploration of the backlash that you got from sex workers um, when you decided to make a film about sex work. And it, it's really a film about who gets to tell your story and, and you explored so beautifully. Um, but, yeah, I'm curious after having done the film, you know, who, who gets to, to tell the stories of sex workers? Yeah. I mean, I it's so important that I got to say sort of hold both. Right. Both. And this is a story that my personal journey so only I can tell that. But when I wanted to learn more about the experiences of sex workers, of survivors, of people with lived experience in the sex industry, I need to listen to them. Like, you don't, you know mm. what I mean? I don't know if they had uh, any, you know, people in the industry around the table read when they did uh, whatever, fill in the blank, whatever story about um, prostitution, if you want to call it that, or sex work or whatever. But if you don't have those folks in the room, you're not having the conversation. Mm -hmm. mm. Mm. And why does that, why do you think that conversation matters to the, then the big picture, to the transformation of society? Well, I think the reason society looks the way it does is so many people have been pre-canceled for so long. Like that's my <laughs> thing about cancellation is like, oh y'all, you a cis white hetero dude, you are just learning what it is to not be invited to anything. <laughs> like you have been giving out the RSVPs for all of time. So you've always been invited. And all of a sudden now for five <laughs> seconds, you know what it feels like for somebody else to be able to say, hey, here's mm. a line, it's drawn and you can't come or whatever. Mm. But I was born canceled, like, right? M women, for the purposes of, you know, equality, you're born pre -can My mother couldn't get a credit card in, like, the 1980s unless her husband signed for it, right? So <sighs> I think it's important for us to talk about how, mm. you know, these conversations, when you are the um, architect of all the structures and you don't involve any of the people in the planning and the building and the architecture who you're going to be impacting— it's a problem and it's unsustainable as a society, as we're seeing. Totally. Yeah. Wow. Wow. PhD. PhD. That's amazing. What do men think about sex work? What, because in many ways, 
No pressure. No, but like, Zero. let's ta- let's just be honest, right? Like real talk. I, I, much of our perception about sex work, even my perception, I mean, I, when I was 19, one of my first feminist groups on, you know, in, in CEGEP, which is French Canadian college, basically, we were anti-objectification of women. We called it la marchandisation du corps de la femme. We're merchandising women's mm-hmm. bodies and we're not merchandise, right? And I believed fo- fully that, that that's what made me a feminist. And obviously, like many of us, you, you know, sort of learn and change your mind about things. And c'est plus compliqué. You, c'est plus compliqué que ça. Right. Um, but at the same time, Oh my gosh, like the the first time I was called a slut, I remember not knowing what that meant. Mm-hmm. Like it, and in French it's like putain, like ouais, which is putain. prostitute. It ouais. doesn't mean slut, it means prostitute. Ouais, ouais. And I remember being like, wait, what does that mean? And I was like, why am I prostitute? And I was 13. Like yeah. seventh grade. It's also a very common curse word, no? In I every putain, language. Everybody's like putain, putain, putain. 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 Prostitute is the worst thing you can be. And so and and so you as a woman, you take that on. You're like, oh, it's bad. Having sex is bad. And then but is it that like men think women who have sex with them are bad? Or is it because you feel bad about yourself when you're doing that and then you project it onto us? Like, mm. And I, I just, yeah, to me, there's so much to unload. And I'm just curious what you guys, All right. how do you, you guys you wanna do it? You want to take that one out? What, First, what? I just want to shower you with love. I think you're so dope. Yeah. Mm. One of the best things art can do is like, I, I think a lot of us, we like cook our own books of like, this is who I am. And then these are all the bad things and I put them over here and then I just look at what I am. <laughs> and I love societally, you're like, no, 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 no. no. Yeah. This is like what we are. And I think art is one of the best at doing that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you were have this insane God-given talent and you could have, you could do so many, so many things with it. Yeah. You know, you're like hilarious. You're so quick. You can go anywhere. And what I what I'm seeing you do is like not only make me smile and like I'm with you, but then you hold space for me to go somewhere with you. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's like a choice of you choosing to do that. Sick. I freaking love you. Um, when it comes to prostitution, I think that there is inherently shame, right? For men. For men. Yeah, because I should be able to get yes. it by myself. Right. Wait, wait. Is that true though? You said for men, not for women? Well, I was asking. No, no, first for men. For okay. men, there's you feel shame. like there's shame. Yes. For, there's you should like, be able to get it. This is something that is really hard to figure out. Huh. How do I get you to like me? How do I do this? And then also, if you have any religious right. training, you're like, I don't even know whether I, that's only for this place. So it, I can't do it here. Right. So then I think where it takes me is again with this, I'm going to cook my own books and do it in a way that no one can know mm. in, in your head. So therefore, it makes it even more shameful. And it's just a big shame bucket, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Be- yeah. And because a lot of uh, women, especially I- I've seen them on-, on TikTok, sex workers being like, um, you have sex with men for free? Like, 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 and you're putting me down? Like, at least I get paid for it. Like, you just do it for free, <laughs> right? There, there's such a reframing that can be done from a feminist, from a sex worker perspective that obviously is not the mainstream, you know, perspective. Um, but I think that's really honest to, uh, to admit that, right? That you are in a way diminishing, or we as a society diminish uh, sex workers or, or again, porn stars, whatever it is. Is porn star an acceptable term? I, so or erotic I, it's, you know what I've noticed? Actress. You ask the person. Okay. I let people tell me what they are. They're proud to be porn stars or they'll say, no, I'm not a porn star. I'm actually a body worker. Right. They'll let you know. It's right. sort of, it reminds me of kind of where pronouns we all are or, about pronouns. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So anyone in the sex industry, you, you have to diminish them to feel because you the, or put shame onto them because you don't want to feel shame about yourself. Yes, and I, one of my favorite spiritual teachers, Thich Nhat Hanh, talks about like interbeing, mm-hmm. and that 
if a quick a quick gut reaction is to try and push it back on you, but if I'm watching this porn, we are we are together in this very much so. Uh. So therefore, I'm like trying to then go like, no, no, it's clearly you, okay. and I'm not a part of it. But you mm. are a part of it. Any, it's a it's a it's a conversation here, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Man, this is what a tricky one. Think? It's a tricky one, right? Um, I'm so confused on what the, the question is, but I have thoughts. Hopefully I include your question in my thought. So I can't imagine. Well, can I clarify my question? Please. Athletes use their bodies to work and they make money off of their bodies. Laborers. Laborers are tons of jobs where you're literally like your, your body is your, a commodity. Why is it different? Why do we have less respect um, for people who are sex workers who are also using their bodies in a, so, in a different why does that make us uncomfortable us you know society well i think there's one thing and let me frame this in my opinion in my experience or in my life someone who's using their body to um to do athletic things does not mix the idea that what they're doing is sacred or you know that there's a place for it and that it has uh, emotional ramifications to it, right? Sex is an intimate thing. That's very different than what you do with your body when you're playing sports. So it, the act itself, I think, is not comparing apples to apples. I also think this, as someone who has watched porn throughout my life, not as much maybe as the next guy. I had my other issues, but I am trying to change. I don't know a friend that I have that watches porn or any sort of sex behavior, going to massage parlors or doing things that does not struggle with seeing women as objects. I think we do anyways, even for those who don't watch it and engage in it. But I think the more you do it, it perpetuates something that we're so desperately needing to change. So while I appreciate that there are women that are owning it and claiming it for themselves, and I, and I get that, that they don't, and yet, I don't think that is ultimately the answer because I still think it perpetuates my son who's 17, who doesn't know if you choose it and claim it or not, and still sees it. And then when he goes out in the world and sees women and is imagining their pants off and they're this and they're that, and women have the right. I'm not putting this on the women. I'm just saying that it doesn't. But can I say say something? See, I objectify men all the time when I- But it doesn't hurt men. Well, exactly. I can object, see a man and uh, enjoy his body in all whatever that looks like and still respect men, right? right. Like women objectify men and still respect men. Why, do, when men objectifying women, why does that mean that then, then in the world they don't respect them, right? Like to me, that's the, the problem is not the objectification maybe. Maybe it's the fact that then it gives permission for men to to disrespect women if as it was a result a, If of it was a level playing field? Then, then that would be different for exactly. me. Exactly. Just like black so people. See, black people. Sex work or the problem, you know, the sexism. Uh, it is, a, it is sexism for sure. It's just like black people. Sorry, I know you want to jump. No, in. I love but it. Like, you are, they're, you are, they're speaking the transcript of my movie. <laughs> yes. By the way, yes, there there are, go see the movie because so, so no, give or take, it's black great. people have the right to make mistakes all the time, just like anybody else. Yes. However, right. When a black person makes a mistake, when already you're seen and we are seen as such, it has greater impact than when you make a mistake. Right, yeah. When you go on Jerry Springer and act stupid, they're like, oh, Andy's stupid. You go on Jerry Springer and act stupid, look at those black people. Right, right. right? You represent a whole people. Right. 
until it's level, we had to be careful with that. There's a responsibility that's different or it has lasting effects. So if it was a level field and women were seen as equal in everything that we did, sure, then this would be a different discussion. But since we are coming from boys from, from young times throughout every culture, see women as mm -hmm. less than, as objects, there's so much that we are fighting for to, to promote the equality. And if at the same time, there's things being perpetuated, like women are objects, a woman is saying, don't see me as an object, I'm not. And yet, at the same time, and it's not woman's fault. I'm not saying this is, I'm just saying what it does. Right. That's I'm just the, the, just the effects. You see women doing it and owning it. If a man decides to be a sex worker, it's not hurting manhood at all. You don't, you don't represent men. You represent you. When a woman does it, unfortunately, there's a whole group of people that perpetuates, oh, that's what women are. But we, but that's a you problem. That's it is not a me a problem. problem. I'm not saying it's right? a woman women, problem. I'm not, I'm not at all saying I, it's a woman's I, I, problem. Right. But what we, I think it's just, it supports the idea that we need to change the way that men perceive women for I men agree. to actually like and respect women. But we are in this together. Sure. But to like make women not do sex work, which again, is not going to happen. It's been happening. It's the oldest, prof you know, the oldest profession, yeah. like it's going to happen. And also we have sex with each other. Like, se like sex is a right, right? Like being a sexual being and expressing yourself sexually, whether you're paid or not, like that's a part that's like taking away of, I, I feel like I've been like not hurt, but diminished the sexual potential that I have with my partners because of the patriarchy, because I've been like, oh, I, I'm objectifying or, oh, he'll respect me less. And it's like, I just want to be free. Can I, I love this. This is like, I, I'm like, can we take this on the road as a like panel Let's before the like, premiere and blah, blah, because, and I was like, don't go on there and say the C word, Sarah. Say it. Capitalism. Yeah. We're forgetting that there is a drive for this particular, the, the one thing that we always forget in these conversations, we're moralizing, girls, you know, girls are sluts, they're dirty, blah, blah. I used to, I mean, I have a crop top on and there was a time when my mother would be like, Mortified. where are you going? And you would look like a streetwalk. My father was like, I remember I had bike shorts on at one point. I was, where are you going in those follow me pants? So there's the, first of all, putting it on women, right? It's your fault. You got whatever happens to you. It's because of what you're wearing. All of that. We know so that. So sorry for that. Thank you. And again, I think we get to remember that this is a much larger conversation. That's why I loved both of you talking about, you know, if men engage in sex work and I, you know, I've done the research, the numbers are not comparable mm -hmm. at all. You can do all the movies you want about, you know, an old white woman goes down to the Caribbean and finds a dude. That is not what's actually happening okay. in the world for the most part. What's happening is black and brown girls in particular, and then mm -hmm. girls more broadly who have less economic access are more likely to choose this when they choose it. And again, it's up to them to talk about that. I, right. I'm never going to stand here and tell you who's empowered, who's not. It's up for them to tell. I was learning as I went in, you know, directing this thing and be playing all these characters who have different opinions. That was the fun part for me is that, you know, if you're judging and criticizing you're probably not standing in the shoes of the person's actual experience. And so my job was to listen and learn as much as I could. And I realized this conversation around sex and exchanging sex for money, whatever you want to call it, it's much bigger. It's really about this larger society we're in 
where it is very difficult, even if your, you know, relationship to your work is about your body through sports or your body through being a farm worker, whatever that is, we're in such a complicated time around valuing human beings. Even when I, I would interview women who were sex workers in places like Berlin or, you know, other cities in Europe, and they have a social safety net. It's a completely right. different conversation. They don't have to do survival sex in the same ways that women and girls here will like, you know what, girl, I got to pay my bills. Uh, I got to send my kids to school. Like, I have diapers to buy. And so we have we need to have a conversation here about just capitalism more broadly, I believe, yeah. before we start to— you know, judge or criticize anybody for mm-hmm. anything that that is happening. But I, I guess the other piece that's so powerful to me is this is something that we sweep under the we pretend it's not happening yeah. unless it's convenient and we can make it really sexy. But as soon as you know, I mean, I don't want to say his name, but the f- orange person who was occupying the White House for a while. His presidency is, you know, colored, if you will, by a story with a a person who's Mm -hmm. in the sex industry. So to pretend that this is not as American as apple pie, and of course it's also global, but like there's a much bigger conversation about social justice. Everybody who was out in the streets around George Floyd should be focusing on how this is a microcosm of, you know, (laughs) power dynamics in our larger society. Everybody who's upset about Dobbs and Roe v. Wade If you want to see how we got to the place where men are controlling women's bodies in that arena, it's also relevant to think about how men control Mm -hmm. women's bodies. But not just that. If every woman got to control all her own money and, you know, but I followed the trail and I was like, everybody got pimps Mm -hmm. or everybody has to give all their money to OnlyFans. Like this is so I just want to see a world where women and sex and power and self-determination are put back in some kind of balance. Like you were saying, Jamie, I just don't think we're in that world, but I still want to keep listening to all. I want to keep listening to everybody and get back to a conversation about men and vulnerability, because ultimately it's like. You know, when men are vulnerable and it turns into rage that kills women, it, everyone is harmed. Right. But speak right. more to that because you you were speaking about an example of yeah. how they're handling the men who are buying sex. They, you know, the sort of approach or rehabilitation is actually really rooted in, again, shaming the women so that the men feel, feel better. I wonder if you can speak to that. Yeah, there was one scene in the film that is an actual piece of documentary footage from what's called John School. And I don't know whether it exists in the same way now, but... Basically the same way if you get a traffic violation and they make you go to traffic school, so get you slap you on the wrist and make sure you know what you're doing in the future. This is something where guys who were buying sex were while their, you know, so-called prostitute gets sent off to jail, they go to John school. They sit for a couple of hours and all they have to do is I think they pay a fine if that. And in this particular instance, a police officer who's a woman was made to come out and basically shame them by saying, you're picking up dirty whores and taking that home to your wife. You should be ashamed of yourself. Mm, yeah, that's not So good. that's where we are in terms of the mentality, rather than saying to these men, okay, hey, maybe you're alienated in your marriage. Maybe you're miserable in your life. Like maybe something's wrong here where the power dynamics in your life are causing you to engage, you know, with a girl who's underage, even if she tells you she's 18. So it's, a, it's yeah, just so one. complicated. And I think it's, I, 
I have to say this. I mean, Liz, your book is called For the Love of Men. I almost feel like making this film, yes, it was about saying, hey, everybody, do you realize this is even happening and it's in your own backyard? But it's also about that men who are alienated and, you know, sort of alienated from themselves create horrible conditions for the rest of us on this planet. Right. Whether it's with guns, whether it's with the environment, whether, you know, wherever men are on the spectrum mm-hmm. of I need power and dominance mm-hmm. to be okay, mm-hmm. there it's it's just flooding the rest of us with that toxic masculinity energy in lots of different ways. Yeah. So that's part that. of why yeah. I, I want to see men love themselves. I want to see women get paid. Yeah. I just want to see all of this unpacked more instead of just, oh, let's do Pretty Woman on Broadway and I'll say it's fine and then shame, you know, slut shame women in their crop tops. That's where it gets key. I want to be clear that, because I think the narrative that you're saying, both of you, there should not be any version of shaming anyone for living, surviving, whatever it may be, choosing. Enjoying. Yes. Enjoying. It's a choice. It's a choice. I want to say that very strongly. And then say that I, I do think that sex is sacred. However one chooses to have it. I think there's, you have children and you, and when they're five and six, I was molested from the time I was seven to 17. Sex has effects on us, right? We don't, we don't let our eight-year-olds have sex because we know there's impact with it. Mm-hmm. Right. There's there's something to it. That's just not a choice to go and play basketball at eight years old. There's something else to this. So. And then when they're 12 we, and 14, we, we prepare our generations like know that there's something about this, N- not only because one can become pregnant or you can father a child or however it looks, but there's a bond that happens. Between people. That occurs when you are engaged in that intimacy. So. Now, can you choose to do what you want with it? Yes, let's not shame anyone. But would it, does it break my heart that boys and girls would have to use something that's so full of love as a way to survive or to be seen or to go through life? And it's not to shame my son if he chose to do that, but God, Lee. But what makes you think they don't think it's sacred? Right. Like, like what makes me think all of my soul and body does not believe that my five and six year old or any on the planet dreams or a 10 year old dreams about being a basketball player. Yes. Being a lawyer. Yes. Being a this. Yes. Being a this yet. Being a person that shares their body with another that doesn't care about them. Maybe they do. A lot of sex workers. I I mean, I talk about in my book, will say like. Often the men want to cuddle or they want to talk, they want to buy me gifts and like they want a girlfriend, right? Like I'm not discounting some people want to have sex and that's it. But I'm not, but, but, and, and, you know, I, I, again, I understand what you're saying. And again, I'm like not coming from it knowing all the answers. But I think that we, we were talking about this with people with disabilities. A lot of people with disabilities use sex workers and, and they're not allowed. It's illegal. It's like kind of a problem. And for them, it is sacred. And having that person come in, it's a kind of a beautiful thing to be able to offer that connection to sure. someone. Sure. Right. It's, and so, you know, I think all professions are a way to offer love and, and intimacy and use our body, use our brain in ways that contribute. And like for a lot of people, it's contributing to that connection. What, what more beautiful thing could you do with your body? 
I love everything. You know, I hear you. I, I, I mean, turn on Pornhub. Can I? Yeah, and, a and, and everything my son sees. Everything is smashing, smashing, but that, smashing, way smashing. We, all this terrible stuff. Right, that but that's not what, um, th- that's a patriarchal, right, violent, aggressive uh, culture that, that that creates that kind of porn, right? But there's a lot of erotica. There's a lot of different stuff out there that's not, Yeah. you okay. know, I think that's, again, the, the problem is not the the sex industry or sex. It, it's the way that we've like... The problem is industry. The problem is the right. ways in which we commodify everything and everybody, mm-hmm. right? That's what I'm trying to get us. To. It's sort of like a, I need a drone on this conversation to really fly up to the level of where everything you're saying, Liz, I hear everything. Everything you're saying, Jamie, it all yeah. makes sense. The tricky part is... There is psychological, there's research about fluid bonding and, you know, like what happens in the human brain when right. people have sex. You know, whatever. There's research that does say, and that doesn't discount that there, you know, are women in places where it's like the most fulfilling thing. If you gave them the choice of doctor, mm-hmm. lawyer, everything else, they would still say to you, this is what I want to do. And here's my point about that. It's not about th- th- that woman God bless her because I'm still looking for her. But the conversations I've had that have been so powerful with women who are self-described sex workers, who then I've said to them, and would you want your daughter to do this? They're like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Mm. And I don't I don't push because I'm not here to, you know, shame or humiliate or judge or make women think about their choices in tricky ways. What I'm trying to get to is the conversation about disability, the disability community, who has the right to sex, who has the right to do what, who deserves these conversations when they are entangled with racism, with poverty, with lack of access. It's Can you call something a choice if it's something you have to do to survive? And at what point do you even realize whether you're choosing or not? I wanted to strip when I was in college. Hundred mm. percent. I want. I. I wanted to. I mean, I wanted to do it my way with combat boots, and you know. Why? Because Why I it? thought it was sexy. Because I also wanted to make money, and because I sort of thought it was ironic. It was. I was a feminist. I was going to Bryn Mawr College, like one of the most, you know, seven sisters, like super mm-hmm. feminist, whatever. There was a porn. People were making porn in one of the dorms. Like we were trying mm. to unpack what Liz was talking about. That feeling of puritanical. Women are sluts if they want to engage in a healthy sex life. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize was I was looking for love, approval, something. I was calling it something else. I wanted to be a badass bitch and just like show people that I was bad. You know what I mean? And I could dance and I wanted to do that. But what I didn't understand was there are power dynamics. There are girls, I, girls, women who I now know we've talked and they're in the entertainment industry now. But while they were doing that work, it was very tricky for them. And they couldn't say anything about it. I want women to be able to say, this is complicated. We are not in charge. They don't own the means of production of their own porn, of their own. So that's the conversation I feel like we need to be having. We can't be locking women up for behavior that men get to go away scot-free on or be president. Mm. Um, we can't. We just can't have this incredible, you know, just massive ocean of inequality that we call a society, and then try to moralize about sex and the sex industry when right. we're not dealing with the larger problem of mm-hmm. people don't have healthcare, people don't have education, right. people don't have housing, people don't yeah. have yeah, yeah, feminization needs met. Yeah. You're making yeah. a point that I think is important, and I need to remember because you're, we're talking about two different things, and I, and I don't want to conflate the two. 
Because what you're saying 100% stand behind, yes. Also, if any young boy says to me, Jamie, should I watch porn? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I get 100%, that. 100%. Yes, I get that. Absolutely do not. Yeah. Do not watch porn. Now, you probably will, and I understand you're not evil for doing so, mm-hmm. but do not. It'll, it'll, it'll f- reframe how you see things, yeah. how you see women, how you see men, how you yes. see yourself. How, how you have sex. How you it, see yes. sex. It alienates so 100% them from themselves. do not. So there's that, and yeah. I think I'm speaking to that point. And then yet, what you're speaking about is a 100% yes stand behind mm. that. I, but maybe it's not. I hope it's them. both and, yeah. right? I hope it's like we all were, again, I can't get over this. Like we're, we're protesting in the streets saying we don't want to devalue life anymore. <sighs> and then we turn around and commodify, not always, but often people who, the average age of, the per, of a young girl that, I've dealt with getting into the sex industry is 12 or 13. Now, that's not that's not the women Liz is talking about. Right. But when you yeah. think about that number, and then here's the other part. It's 12 so, and 13? 12 and 13 is the average age. In the play, I made the point that Barbie, the first time you see a Barbie, like this is a, this is, Barbie was based on a, a doll called right. the Lily doll who was herself a prostituted, a prostitute was the term they used back then in World War II. Nobody thinks that that, you know, sexual objectification of girls and women from the time we're so young gets into our heads, but it does. Mm -hmm. And if it's a Bratz doll, however old you are, the point is it's complicated to Mm -hmm. talk about how we as women choose sex and sexuality and how it affects men. The average age is 12 or 13? So the average age of a girl being exposed to the sex, a girl who gets into the sex industry is exposed to it is 12 or 13. And someone's making an argument that the 12 and 13 year old is- I was exposed to sex and sexuality at 12 and 13. I watched movies. I saw- I was objectified by men. Exactly. No, no. I'm saying 12 and 13 years old. Yes. To to understand what you're getting into, to to, now you may devalue it. You may have been, you know, why not is a way to make money. So you don't have appreciation for it. Maybe you weren't treated fair when you were young. You didn't have a father that treated you, whatever it may be. But to say, you got a 12 and 13 year old. Do you have any kids? There is no 12 or 13 year old on the planet that wants to fucking be fucked by somebody. I hear you. Jamie. Come on now. I hear you. There's no, there's no version of that except for men. We Idiots are making women think that they want it, that they're choosing it. I hear you. So when there's an 18-year-old or 25-year-old who says they want it, God, I don't want to take your voice from you. But if you were choosing that as 12, that's because that's how we've been treating you and seeing you. I don't believe inherently from you at the time you were young. That's what you wanted. I hear you. So they're claiming it and they're owning it because they don't want to be seen as an object anymore. And this is their choice. But I can't imagine a 12-year-old, if that's the average age, ever went into it. I'm sorry, that wasn't directed at you. It makes me angry no. at men that we perpetuate and we keep watching it and making women feel this, even though there's men doing it too, I know. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. You know, it's it's such young women and it's women who are from a lower economic standpoint. So can you really a say lot that of they're the time. choosing? The choice sounds very... Uh, I I believe that it's a very wide spectrum, and I think you're doing an incredible job holding space mm-hmm. for that. I think there are probably plenty of people that have decided and choose on their own that this is what I want to do, and they have their own decisions, and then they feel good in that. But going back to what you were saying is, 
like in like sure we can say that it's both genders but it's not it's females that are have been doing this for as long as ever and because men have the money men have the money <laughs> that's how that works mm-hmm. yeah in a heteronormative situation which right. is most of what we're looking at sorry but there are facts yeah and make yeah. it and produce it we're talking about how complex this is and that shame is all intertwined in all of it and say each person brings their own shame we're forcing the world of sex, the, all of our shame is like being held by all, by these women yeah. that didn't really have a choice to begin and with. Girls. And, and we and just girls. go like, it's totally yours, it's you take point. it. But it's all, it's all of ours to take a piece back, a good healthy mm-hmm. portion back and go like, I'm contributing to this. Yes. I'm a part of this. Right. If I've watched any porn in my life, this is my zone. Right. If I've ever been to a weird massage parlor, if I've ever done right. these things, if I've, if I'm involved in this, I need to take my slice of right. shame back. Right. Whether that's healthy or not, all I I just look at like what that would do to you if you were carrying the world's shame unfairly. Mm. Good God. And Mm. it's not yours. Right. It's not Mm. theirs. It's not yours. No. Mm. No shame. No stigma. It's it's such a powerful. I just want to say the whole goal of the film is to get people into this conversation, but not to make us feel like it's hopeless because it's not. Mm -hmm. There's no simple answer, but I do know that, again, when people have health care and homes and can vote and can, you know, mm. like that's, you know, the most important thing that we can learn from all of this is how often, again, if you're 12 and then nothing changes for you, then you become 18. And yes, it is your legal choice. Right. Right. So that's imp- and So it's just sort of here's my experience. I didn't realize that as an actor in Hollywood with relative power, I have, you know, I've, I have relative power. I've won yeah. a Tony. Mm-hmm. I have lots of whatever. Say that again. One more time. I'm going to say it again for my mother. <laughs> I want a Tony mama. Yes, yes. Um, like, I, you know, I have access to a lot of things, and yet I feel exploited in my job. Mm. I know how much I feel like I make choices I don't want to have to make right. in my job. And I know, you know, cis white men, like hetero men who feel exploited in there. This is about a larger conversation around exploitation and who gets to tell the story, whose narratives are these. Pretty Woman was was written by a man, as far as I can remember. Probably. Yeah. Right? Most it's it's so like, sad that we can be like, yeah, odds, odds are. are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like directed, the stories are told from the, right, Pygmalion, whatever it is, even when it's romanticized, Lolita. I mean, these are stories that were very mainstream and I'm not... I'm not here to be anybody's moral police. I'm here to say, wait a minute, when we look around in our culture, we're slut-shaming and stigmatizing women and girls left and right. Men and boys are alienated from themselves. Again, this is a hetero context I'm talking in. But is what is actually healthy for us? What mm-hmm. is actually moving the conversation forward? And I think your passion, Jamie, and I think your mm-hmm. passion, like when I see both of you, all that emotion that comes up, you are connected to these girls and women. Everybody is. We are all, I believe, this story for me was about, oh my God, I am no different than the girl I see walking down the street. Mm. I'm no different than the guy who's buying her, mm-hmm. uh, who maybe feels shame, maybe doesn't. But there's a larger conversation we're not having around, like, truly, if we reconnect with ourselves, will we make the same choices we're making now? And I think right now we live in a society that says, don't connect fully with yourself, just man up (laughs) and, you know, 
yeah, get your rocks off, like smash this, smash that, mm. and you'll be fine. And then it wonders why. I mean, again, I was saying to Liz earlier, but like there are stories about police mm-hmm. using, you know, prostituted girls and women. You don't see it in the news, but and then they retire and they talk about it and they feel terrible. I've interviewed a guy. So that thing of like power and using your power to subjugate another person, how do we separate that out from healthy erotica, healthy sex, Mm -hmm. enjoying sexuality, people Mm -hmm. earning money for doing whatever it is that they really choose to do because they have all the choices in the world. But I can tell you, I don't feel like I have all the choices in the world. Mm -hmm. As an actor, I can't tell you how many times I'm like, I really want, oh my God. So add sex to that, add the power dynamics to that. And I think it's just a conversation we have to unpack more. And what would you like men to reflect on, particularly who are listening around these? Like, yeah. and you, you can obviously. Can I, I tell you? Oh, what, yeah. Can I, tell you? I love I, that Andy. Oh. Oh. Real quick, Andy, my dude, you the most patient <laughs> motherfucker I ever seen. In my I mean, excuse me, I, I know motherfucker's probably not appropriate, whatever. Saying my name is Rashi. I'm the only dude Sarah Jones brought with her. She got me up here in a crop top. It's just like I don't even want to. All right, first of all, I ain't gonna try, I ain't saying nothing homophobic, nothing like that. But I'm a, I'm a hetero, whatever, and uh, hetero, not whatever. me. I sh- let me tell you, sh- son. When I was a shorty, think about girls and sex and all that. I'm saying that was part of my situation. You know what I mean? That's part of like um, bonding all that. Which you, you know what I mean? Which whatever M- my pops had. You know, what I'm saying black tail. I don't, I'm sorry, not supposed to say that, but um. Yeah, you know I mean, it's like a rice of passage and shit. Men be passing shit down with one another and all that. They bond over that shit. They go to strip clubs and whatnot. Savage Jones told me she, you know, she know ladies in order to get the business deal, they go to the strip club too. You know what I mean? It's part of the culture. All I'm trying to say is this right here. I know I was mad insecure when I was little and sex, it was almost like, oh, I don't have to feel nothing if I could just... You know what I mean? Just run up on a girl, whatever. It, it, it means you don't have to feel nothing. You could just be that dude. You know what I mean? And I felt like if people don't want to feel, then yeah, the porn, whatever, all that, it's going to have a real dark side to it. But maybe we could get to the healthy side if men start feeling their feelings first. I ain't saying you got to go to therapy, but I do. <laughs> anyway, that's Rashid. Andy, please. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. Well, you know, and, and for Andy, just and I, I want you to say what's in your mind and heart. What I appreciate about him on this, that you can't get this guy to shut up in most situations. He comes so in. So you bring me in, and I'm like, Bleh! no, no, no. I'm so sorry. And, and I say yeah, that so with, with love because he's got a lot to share and say, and he listens well too, as well. But in this case, here you are with a black man, a black woman, and a white woman, and you're the white male. And you and your whole you listen, and you um, share when it's appropriate. Um, so please share. Oh my it's not god! Appropriate. No, I don't even have anything. It's just uh, appreciate that about you anyway. I Me too. My heart breaks for the women, and my heart breaks for the boys. I, I like we're just in a. I don't think we've ever been in a situation where you have porn coming at you. Yeah at the degree that it's coming at young men. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like a fair fight. And then we're gonna be really upset with them. So I, I feel terrible <laughs> for young boys and young men that are like, I feel like there's like an onslaught, like a river's coming and they have like a small little like butter Spoon. knife. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. get it all. Oh. <laughs> like right. this is coming at me. Um, yeah, I, I don't really, I don't have an answer or anything positive to say at the end of it. I just am like, in the moment of feeling how how hard that is 
And we need to do better on both sides because it really mm -hmm. affects both of us. I think the biggest thing when I'm talking about like man enough is genuinely getting to the place where you don't just, I don't know, some people aren't even exposed to it. There's the, the, the Baha'i quote that um, quality of men and women is like wings of a dove. And until they're equal, you can't fly. So until you believe as a man that you are not flying and cannot fly yeah. until there's equality, it's really hard to get all inspired and psyched to go do the work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, otherwise you think you're just like, well, I don't want to give you any of my cookies. I have nine cookies yeah. and I'd rather right. just keep them here, but I'll give you one and maybe everybody will like leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. yeah. Until you're like, no, no, no. If we both have the equal amount, mm -hmm. then something we don't even know. Yes. We don't even know what could happen. And right now the way that it's going is like, I'm just getting onslaughted. All of our generation is getting onslaughted with porn. And that is yeah. so such a bummer. Mm -hmm. So how do we guide young men, right, in a healthy way while also em empowering women? How, how, how do we do that, both those things? <laughs> I mean, I love what Andy was saying, and I, it's so funny because you made the distinction, like, I feel, you know, my heart breaks for the girls, my heart breaks for the boys. My heart breaks for the men because the truth is, if nothing changes, nothing changes, right? Mm -hmm. So we're, I, I'm fascinated that we live in a society that's like, Oh, poor little child. And then on their 18th birthday, lock them up. It's yeah, like, right. you, right. you don't get to do that. So I was thinking, and again, A Call to Men talks about this. We talk about it in the film, but like, get upstream. Mm -hmm. Like, what what happens if instead of that boy having, a you know, Niagara Falls coming at him with a spoon, like boys, who, men who talk to their sons or just get in touch with your own stuff. Yeah. Right? And look, teach them to like feel. Mm. Yeah. You know, I've found one way for sure, which doesn't happen a ton, and men are not great at it, is creating situations where they can actually talk. A lot of times the traditional ways of doing that are like, oh, let's get together and play football. Let's get together and play poker. Let's get men's groups, situations where other men can share with each other, especially older to younger the most incredible, beautiful things come out. Do there have to be drum circles, though? They no drums. No drums. Okay, good. No drums. I just, I just like that. drum circles. If, okay, if you need a drum circle, you can have yeah. it. I just, I make sure to. Yeah, he's not coming to that one. He can't uh -huh. handle the bongos. I don't know the word. Sarah it doesn't one. come as, as intuitively to yeah. men for some reason. It doesn't. And I'm, not, I'm not sure why. Well, right. And if men aren't connecting with each other, they are not connect. They're certainly not connecting with women. And and I think a lot of it is again. I mean. Uh, I think the conversation, I think we should have a separate episode just about porn because I think it's a it's, yeah. huge, uh, complicated conversation. And, you know, Justin talks about it in Man Enough, the studies that show that, yeah, when you when men watch porn, they they see the, the woman as an object. Like it really does have ramifications. It, it also increases anxiety and depression. That's yes, the wild and thing. isolation, and right? Isolation, like totally. men are- And shame. Uh, and, and, shame. and shame and all those things. And, you know, part of it is like, Maybe we need to teach men how to seduce women. Maybe we need to I teach like men to how to be part of that. You would yes. like to be part of that? Roll out. I would oh. like yes. to be part of helping them learn to seduce. Yes, right. connect, right? Because that's Healthy what that seduction. is. Healthy Ultimately. seduction. Yeah. Authentic connecting. Yeah. I love it. I think one of the ways that we can, to your question, um, thanks, Andy, for answering as well, but um, we have to have... Sorry to relate to race, but this is how I can. Don't ever say sorry. <laughs> like... There Let's are do it. Um, a, a world of white people in this country I grew up with in, in the 70s and 80s. And I'm 52, right? So I was, my formative years were, ten, you know, then, during that time. In order for white people to have a different perspective of black people, they had to have, build relationships with them uh, yeah. and have conversations with someone other than when they saw only on the Jeffersons, um, Good Times, or Obama. 
Well, Obama's recent. I'm talking about Greeno, yeah. but but still. But even, that's right? if that's your only, that's if that's your bro. You see it, <laughs> yeah. and or you see hip hop culture, and you see this, and you see videos that are talking about this and this, and you see whatever it is. It's whatever your relationship is with black people is not real, because unless yeah. you have relationships with black people, yeah. And a lot of times, white people have hangups if they get to know you and others. It's like, oh, okay, it's mm-hmm. reframed my thinking. Totally. Now I have a different respect for them. Similarly, boys have to have relationships with girls yeah. Yeah. outside of what is normally platonic. what they see. Yes. Platonic. Yes. That's built on, because if if my son, who I've told always, have friends that are girls, don't just, that's not just the ones advice. that are this and this. So good. Mm-hmm. Because you won't be able to help but respect them. Yeah. They're brilliant. Exactly. They're more brilliant than you. You know how I think about that. I'm sorry. Um <laughs> So we have to encourage young boys and men to have relationships with mm-hmm. women that are not based in mm-hmm. all these other things mm-hmm. that you just get to, because yeah. how could we not? And yeah. that's not something that's very popular. We don't perpetuate that well, thinking. Well, it's the opposite. Men can't be friends with women. You yeah, know? So we have to raise them to do possible. that. Yeah. Totally. And, you know, I think, I think about this saying all the time, we need to romanticize our friendships and fraternize our romantic relationships, right? Love. We need Love to it. be friends with so our good. partners across genders. And we need to, you know, for heterosexual people. And then we also need to romanticize that connection, men to men together, yeah. men to women, even in a platonic friendship to really... Because I agree with you. The best things that I've done have been as a result of the, my friendships with people who have taught me more than any book, mm-hmm. any podcast, mm-hmm. because it's just like, I love you and I'm listening to you and I believe you and and oh my God, right? And then I don't have to read the 500, you know, where to, or like go do a the degree on piece. whatever, right. right? I mean, do read the thing pieces, read the thing be, pieces. You know, but also, yeah, it's just in friendship. Mm. And I think that's such good advice for your son. Mm. Have Beautiful. friends. Beautiful. Real, are, real ones. Yes. And do things with. Yeah. Boys and girls. And and the whole yeah. gender spectrum. Yeah. Because, can yeah. I just also, th- what, one thing that's so beautiful about this conversation is I feel safe to say out loud, it also doesn't make people money to have healthy, connected, you know, if you feel secure in yourself, you don't need those Yeezys. Right, right. right. You don't need, you know what I mean? I, I And I, I'm not an, I'm not anti-capitalism as an idea, but the ways we live now, we need people so alienated that all they want to do is buy shit mm-hmm. <laughs> or yep. like numb out. And so I think we're working against that tide and to remember that, to mm-hmm. remember how can we make, how can we monetize people being healthy? Because yeah. if we don't, it'll just keep going mm. this yeah. other way. Such a good point. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. If we can. You are, um, Andy said it earlier, just really incredible. <laughs> we all know you from, you know, what you do and, you know, get little glimpses of you on your go viral internet things and, you know, your accents and, but to actually sit and personally have a conversation with you, for you to look like my sister to look like my daughter, to be a woman, to care about these things, to care about other people, to give humanity, to give men, white people, a glimpse of the power and beauty of a black woman is really sweet. And I want to be friends with you, (laughs) please. Um, You're really special. Really glad you joined our podcast today. Thank you so much. I got an add-on. I would also say uh, you could you could have done anything. Mm. You're so talented. So talented. And you could have put your laser beam in any direction that would have 
maybe in the world gotten some other thing that we're supposed to go after, and you shined it on a really, really incredible group of misunderstood people. So that's super dope. Mm. Yeah. Okay, my turn. Um, so, <laughs> Are there tissues? <laughs> What's happening? So many onions. You're spectacular. Uh, and again, I, I don't want to like weirdly top it. Like I, I, no. I just, I really, you know, I was watching your film and I was talking to our, our we have a, a Amanda, our, our common friend. And I was like, I love Sarah so much. She is so freaking talented and incredible. And I just want, like the thing that made me mad while I was watching your film is that I wanted I want this to come out the right way. I wanted more of you. And I know you have so many ways to express yourself. And I mean, it's just like your genius. But you are also enough Aww. and more than enough and, and incredible. And um, yeah, I just I, I just like also the way that you've been able to capture what everyone feels and what everyone like just really listen and bring that into the work that you're doing. I just thought I, I just was watching this. And I was like, this is so much for one person to take on. Mm. And you took it on. But you also don't have to take on the entire world. Thank you're you. amazing. Oh, that feels amazing. If you could go back, because I love these two questions. If you can go back to your time machine, mm -hmm. to your young self. Mm-hmm your seven-year-old self, what would you tell her? What would you tell little Sarah? Mm, well, I. this is going to sound weird, but I talk to her now. I'm, I'm a really big believer in like a lot of the times if we're stressed, if we're in really unmanageable situations or we're feeling alienated from ourselves, there's a little one in there maybe who didn't get their needs met way back. And sometimes I'm like, Hey, um, are we really upset about breaking up with this dude? Or are you sad about that guy, you know, from eighth grade? Um, and my inner 13-year-old is like, yeah, I wanted that guy to, like, love us. And I'm like, oh, boo-boo, we're okay. And then I don't care about the dude now. Right. I know it sounds weird, but check it out. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say to her, I'm going to be with you to heal you because I think there's a lot of healing that we all need, right? Whether we were flooded with porn too early or whatever it is, there's a lot of healing that we can do with that seven-year-old. Mm. Still now. Okay, well, I have a good one. What would, like, your eight-year-old self, like, right now she's in the room and she's looking at you here. Okay. What would she think about what you, who you are? Mm. Mm. I think she would be proud of me um, because she was, I'm a, I'm an introverted extrovert. You know that, or ext extroverted introvert, ambivert. Mm -hmm. It takes too long. Um, but... I think she was both shy and felt like she had this big light that she wanted to shine. Um, and so I would I would say to her, look, we get to do both. It's okay. We get to be weird and messy. Mm -hmm. And I love just to speak to the more of me in the film rather than the characters. That's the sequel. That's Sell by Date Part 2. Um, but I, I just want to say like... But I didn't... And by the way, I didn't even mean the care. I mean, even like you. Like oh, this was me. incredible. You have incredible things Maybe to I'll do a podcast cast. with Wayfair. Yes. We'll see. There oh, we go. Oh, yeah. but, we don't talk. But, but, but here's the thing. Everybody has this. I would tell that eight-year-old. I would tell every eight-year-old inside everyone in, you know, mm. who's listening. Like really tap into not when people say like, oh, who are you or whatever. We all, we have a resume. You know, I'm this, I'm, I'm this size, I'm this color, I'm this ethnicity. I'm this. Who are you actually? 
That's what I would say to the eight-year-old. I would ask her wow. who she thinks she is mm. and then tell her who I, th- you know what I mean? Like, I really think it's the soul mm. that we're, we're dancing around the conversation about capitalism and love and sex and, you know, mm. whatever. But ultimately, if you have access to your own soul at eight and nobody mm-hmm. has beaten it out of you, right. you're going to have a different ride. Mm. And They tried to beat it out of me. People try to beat it out of us. And again, I, I mean, people tried to beat it out of me, and I bought a lot of freaking handbags. I don't know about anybody else, but I had every it bag. I was like, I need that because deep down somewhere, I'm just nothing. <laughs> so, hi, I'm sorry. Can I f- find somebody at Birkin? Was there a discount? Like, I just needed something else to fill me up because I wasn't in touch with that mm. core. Yeah. So that's what I would say. My 80-year-old, my 8-year-old, all of them, same message. Last yeah. we're two, enough. two questions. We're enough. The time travel machine goes to your future. Okay. You get to be like a ghost or just a spirit there that gets to witness this. Okay. What would you hope people would be saying about you? I hope they would say, wow, she was all of herself and she gave me permission to be all of myself in my own way. And I hope I gave her permission. If they're at my funeral, I know them well enough that they probably helped give me the permission Mm. to be all of myself. Why don't you ask that last question? <clears throat> Thank you for you that. Do. I love that, asking you that question. What does it mean to be man enough? Mm. This is, y'all took me to <laughs> church, temple, mosque. Uh, so I believe being man enough means, again, being willing to look with complete, as they say, rigorous honesty at everything that has made you who you are so that you can get clear on who you actually want to be and then adjust accordingly. That's a good answer. Great answer. I hope so. Also, if you've done that work, you should find me on Bumble. (laughs) (laughs) Because I haven't found you yet. Oh, I I love love that. that. (laughs) On behalf of all of us, Sarah, Justin, Andy. Yeah. Liz, of course, and myself, all of us at Man Enough, thank you so much for coming on. Um, For anyone who's been listening and wants to hear more of our conversations, you can visit us where, Liz? Manenough.com slash podcast. Yeah, and they can find us where, Andy? On all the stuff. Like what? Like Instagram and Twitter, I assume. Mm -hmm. I think Justin's job's pretty safe. Yeah. And And YouTube, probably. YouTube is good. Spotify. Wherever you get your podcast. So uh, thanks so much. Uh, We'll see you next time. I'm Jamie Heath. Andy Grammer. Sarah Jones. Liz Plank. And this is Man Enough. Thank you for listening to the Man Enough podcast, produced by Wayfair Studios and presented by Procter & Gamble, in partnership with Cadence 13, an Odyssey company. Hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Maholtra Feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Anna Saufeld from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Kayla Nicholson is our producer. Ashmi Elizabeth Dang is head of marketing. And Susie Landers O'Connell is our lead editor. Thanks for listening.